several years ago, I found myself in one of those unique moments in which I had the privilege of being able to assemble something we needed for our home. And it was a number of boards with a number of lock screws and a number of components all together in plastic bags and all the boards. And I looked at it and I said to myself, why would you read the instructions? This looks so simple. And so I began to put together this very simple project. The only problem was at the very beginning of the instruction sheet, it, sheet, it said this. That instruction sheet declared this. If you do not follow these instructions carefully, you will not accomplish what you intend to do. Because instruction number one is critical to instruction number two. I got the thing completely assembled. The boards were reversed of where they were supposed to go. It was upside down by way of assembly. And it had those screws that when you screw them in, they lock and you can't unlock them. You know where this story is going, right? I had a very clear command off an instruction sheet that said I should do that. Now, you, you would think that I'd learn my lesson. But then... A little boy came into our lives, and boys are different than girls. Boys want to ride bikes as quick as possible. And I know girls do too, but my son, he wanted his particular bike. And so at Christmas time, we, I can remember this like it was yesterday, and it's been 20-something years ago. I went to the store, and I looked at the bicycle he wanted. And for $10, you could buy the bike completely assembled. I mean, $10 extra. You could buy it completely assembled. But me being the wise, gifted person, I said, no, I'll save $10. I got the bike home. I worked in my garage when my son was asleep, put the bike together. I can remember this so vividly. He drives down our driveway screaming, Daddy, the brakes don't work. <laughs> and the instructions to assemble that bicycle had one very clear command. You must adjust the cable on the brake pads or it will be dangerous and hazardous for your child. Well, needless to say, that experience was just like a lot of other experiences I've had in life. I knew exactly what the instruction book said, but I would do it my way. And maybe you're here and you're in the same way. No, you didn't put a shelf together. No, you, maybe you didn't put a bike together that had no brakes. But maybe life has given you certain instructions, and when you heard them, your first response was, I can do it my way. The only problem with that is, at some point, you come back to the instruction book and you begin to read and you realize, wow, there is something here that I need to apply to my life. And so today, we look at this concept that is the culmination of everything Jesus said regarding following him. And in this series, we have looked at what it means to deny ourselves and take up our cross. We have looked at what it means to serve. We have looked at what it means for the truth to set us free. But today, we come to a place where we are challenged by a command that is not an option point for any person who ever claims his name. But it is a command that Jesus gives that when we hear it, our first thought is, well, if we make sure a missionary goes or we make sure someone else does this, then everything will be accomplished. The only problem with that is that the command that is given is connected to every person who has ever claimed his name. And so today when you think about it, you find yourself going, well, I know where, I know where the pastor's going because he's taking us to Matthew chapter 28. So open your Bible, if you would, to that text. And as you open there, I want you to see what Jesus says here, because it is in this 28th chapter that we find this powerful, powerful command that is distinctively linked to everything that he intends for us to do. So I want us to begin reading, if we could, back at just a few verses before in verse 
10, and I want us to follow through because I want to show you what happens when religion again invades what the command's all about, but I also want to show you what Jesus instructs. Look, if you would, beginning Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, when you get to verse 20 there, you see a distinctive word, don't you? Teaching them to do all that I have commanded you to do. I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up in a home where the tone of the voice of my father always defined the level of response. Maybe you had that same upbringing. In other words, if your parents said to you, would you please pick up the dishes from the table? You might look at them like they're speaking another language. But then if your mom or dad said, pick the dishes up immediately, what was the difference there? The difference was that your life would change forever if you didn't pick up the dishes at that point, right? I had the same thing happen to me. I was a teenager. I was 13 years old, growing my hair out because in the 1970s, everybody had longer hair, except my dad. And so my dad said to me, you know, son, I think your hair is getting a little long, which, by the way, my hair was not that long at that point. It did get longer as high school went on, but that faded on out. Now it's gray, so it's gone on past any stages like that. I'd hate to have long gray hair. But the reality is, the reality is, I'll never forget my dad said, I'm 13 years old. My dad said, I'm going to give you three days to get your hair cut. Three days. Well, I'm busy. I'm playing soccer. I've got school. I've got all kinds of activities. So I skip day one, day two, day three. And I said to him, Dad, you know what? I really, I don't have time right now, but I'll get this hair cut this weekend. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You had your three days. I'm going to take you to a stylist. You ever been to a, get a haircut on a military base? Anybody ever had a haircut on a military base, you realize they only cut one way. So I sat down in the chair and I said to the guy, sir, I, I really want to ask you to help me. My dad here, he's way too serious about this hair deal. I want you to style me. That guy, he looked, he smiled. Oh, I'll style you, son. Don't, don't you worry. I had the worst haircut of my life. It took a, it's like he took a bowl and cut it all the way around my head. The next day I went to school and people said, what happened? I just simply said I didn't follow a command and look what I got. And you know what I remember at this 13, I was 13 years old at that time, but I, I remembered that if I just followed the instruction, I could have had a lot better deal because I could have gone and find my, find my own barber. But instead I didn't. And I want to ask you today, as you think about your own journey of faith, what would happen today if all of a sudden you realize that Jesus gives a command that is a clear instruction to each one of us? And you said to yourself, you know what, that's really what I want to do. That's how I want to live. That's where I want to go. 
If that's the case, then today you have a great opportunity to be able to look inside of your own heart. And today I want you to think about how do you respond when somebody tells you something? In other words, when you get a word, how do you respond? For example, typically a person's capacity to respond to anything happens and transpires in a matter of seconds. Our brains are bombarded with thoughts. And yet sometimes we get an instruction that's very vital. In fact, have you ever flown on a plane and watched anybody really listen to the instructions of the flight attendant when they say, buckle your seatbelt and tighten it up? A mask will fall down. Every once in a while I do observation just watching as they do that instruction. And I've, I've, I'm determined that if the plane ever goes down, no one will know what to do because no one ever listens to the instruction because they're all watching and looking. In fact, sometimes even the flight attendants don't listen. They're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But see, the reality is it becomes so normal and routine to them, but they miss it. And let me tell you what happens to the Great Commission. This great commandment that God gives us regarding our responsibility as his children. We put that aside and we forget that God intends for each one of us to directly look inside of our own hearts and say, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to follow that command. I want to, I want to respond the right way to what it is God's saying to me. And today I want to show you how you and I can come to the place where we realize that this commandment is not an option point for us. This is a direct command that comes from God. Now, as you, as you look at this passage, you realize that when you start thinking about it, you get to the next question in your mind, and it's simply this. What are the consequences if you ignore a command? What happens if you don't do what God intends for you to do with your life? What happens if you get so caught up in life you miss life? What happens if you have a voice speaking to your heart and you don't hear it? What happens if all of a sudden you're sitting at church and you realize there's this convicting awareness that what it is God wants to do with you has been subdued by your situation, been overwhelmed by your obstacles, has been, been canceled out by your conflicts, has been challenged by your personal design of who you are, and all of a sudden you go, you know what, I can't ignore that anymore. I can't ignore what it is God's saying to me. And it is my prayer today that as we look at this passage that you are quite familiar with, that you'll begin to recognize something. That every single day you live, there's an opportunity to follow this command. Every single day you live, there's somebody you meet who's looking for hope. I have a friend who, who ministers in, in uh, another part of our country. And this week she shared this amazing story with me. She, was, she, ta- she works with children. And this last Sunday, a little boy walked up to her and said, uh, my name is, and gave his name. And she said, well, my name is Lake. And she said, I know who you are. I came here today because I want you to tell me how I can know Jesus like you do. Well, she was flabbergasted because she was not aware that anybody was looking for him. And as a result, she staggered by it for a moment. Then, then she shared the amazing story of what God can do. Yesterday, my wife was telling me the story about one of our members and her, her coming to Christ and what God did in that. And listen carefully. If your story about how you connect to him grows cold, your witness will lose its passion. And when your witness loses its passion, then all you have is just a religious experience that people go, everyone else has done that as well. And what I want you to see today is this, and it's my desire to energize you to realize something. I am not asking any of you to be a pastor. I'm not even asking any of you to be a missionary. But I am asking you to be a child of God and to live your life the way God intended. Because how do we fill this building to overflowing? When God's people begin to follow his command, then people will be running towards what we're about because they'll understand that we are sharing the hope 
that rests in God. And it is our responsibility, not our option. So when you think about it and you start looking at this, you start saying, well, just exactly how could I summarize what this command is all about? And I want to share three distinctive things with you that are very, very critical for understanding this this command. First of all, it is the central focus of every committed believer. It is not a peripheral focus. It is not something out of the side of our eye in the corner of our life. It is the central focus of what it is that God intends to do in our lives. And what you discover is this. It is easy for us to do an an analysis of everything around us and begin to negate the very basis of what it is God wants to do through us. For example, it is not the size of the room or the decor of the room that defines our heart. It is the size of our heart and how God has worked inside of us that moves us forward. And so what happens is Jesus realizes something. He starts out by saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go tell people to go go exactly where I told them to go. And what you discover is Jesus made it specific. You go where I told you to go and listen carefully. He's telling us today, we don't live in this generation by accident. We don't live in this hour by accident. We don't live in this moment by accident. We live divinely directed by God to be breathing in this hour, in this moment. Listen carefully. In a world that is, that is waving out of chaos, moving so fast that no one can even grasp, where we're seeing our culture come, come apart, we need to stop and realize that God has a command for us. It's not an option point. It is a central focus of anyone who's committed. So here's what you've got to ask yourself if you're being honest with who you are. If it's never on your radar screen, if someone's soul never bleeps on your radar screen at all, what does it say? I was driving out of my neighborhood going to church today, coming up here, and I was driving by a mom and a dad and two little kiddos were being pushed in a stroller. And as I was driving, it pricked my heart to realize the only thing they're banking on is a good walk. And what I want you to see today is it takes more than a good walk. It takes a vibrant witness. It takes a journey inside of his word. It takes a desire for God to give you wisdom. It takes a willingness to say, you know what, I want to be used. And what I want to challenge you today is to think, make, make sure you understand it. it is the central focus. But not just that. When you look at this path, you realize something. It is the one authenticator of a real disciple. It is what authenticates someone that they have actually been with Jesus. Because listen carefully. If he is everything to you, you will tell somebody else about him. And it's my heart's cry that we as his people will realize that we have a responsibility to let others know that Christ is the answer. Just this week, I, was, I had been out of town and was coming back home, and a and, uh, young lady helped me with something, and I took out a $5 bill, and I gave it to her, and I said, ma'am, I hope that God blesses you today. She looked at me and said, he already has. And as I, as I was responding and talking to her, I thought to myself, you know, listen carefully. Your witness just doesn't have to be sharing Romans 6.23 and 3.23. Your witness can be that you are somebody representing Jesus. And I want to encourage you today as you think about where you are, it authenticates who you are. It authenticates. In other words, it's easy, for example, to tell somebody I love you. It's a lot harder to prove it. It's easy to say, you know what, I care about you. It's a lot harder to actually do something to make a difference. And what you see in this passage and what you see Jesus doing is he is about to depart from the earth. And he comes and brings them together. You know what? You can't miss this in life. And here's what I want you to see. Do not miss authenticating your life. You do not want to get to heaven. And at the end of your journey, recognize that everyone coming across your path 
You could have shared with them. You should have shared with them. You would have shared with them. But you got focused on your world. And let me tell you what Jesus does here. He makes it clear. It's time for us to authenticate who we are, to make sure we're the real deal. And and, and let me just say it to you this way. If no one's soul ever hits your radar screen, you do have to ask yourself, where does Jesus live inside of me? You do have to ask yourself that question. If you can live your life coming to church on Sunday and never being burdened on Monday, you need to ask yourself that question. Because the reality is that the authentication of a real disciple, someone who follows Jesus, is they share him. There's one other thing that that stands out. Because it's in our understanding of this command that we are positioned at the point of effectiveness. It is in this place that we are effective and we accomplish the things that God intended to do. And I can tell you, for me, it's so vivid. It so links into who I am. Because it's easy for us to play church and miss God. It's easy for us to make it look good and miss the opportunity. And it happened to me a decade ago. A decade ago, I went to on a mission trip, not because I wanted to, but because I wanted my friend to quit asking, if I'm being honest. He's in heaven listening, so he probably heard it already and probably megaphoned it across the Golden Street. I didn't want to go, but you know why? Because I had a good life. I thought, why would I go over there, speak a language I'd never be able to learn, and miss being home, enjoying the good life? And I can be honest with you. That first trip was one of the most ineffective moments of my life. It started out bad and it went down. I mean, it went south quick because I walked into a different culture and and the pastor, he started off the wrong foot and we went straight downhill from there. I'll never forget, he looked at me, he said, sir, son, 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 call me son. That time I was only 40, I understand, 40 something. He said, son, you follow me. Well, I'm thinking, because I follow Jesus. Well, you know what hit me wrong? Because I thought I followed Jesus too. But the more I thought about it, he was right. I wasn't following Jesus on that first mission trip. I was following, you know, trying to help one guy feel good about the fact I finally said yes after three years asking. And let me tell you what I discovered in that trip by the time I finished. And some of the people, I looked at a picture. I looked at a picture just the other day of the, of the, the t- nine or ten people who went on that trip. Everyone but me has aged dramatically. <laughs> I mean, the rest of them, they look old as the hills. But for me, I look young and vibrant. No, the truth is we've all aged. Let me tell you what I discovered. I look at that picture. Why are you all laughing so much? That doesn't especially my wife. This should not be a moment where you laugh too hard, all right? I'm just trying to illustrate something for you. But I'll never forget, when I got home that trip, at that time I had a little prayer room. I went in that prayer room, and I asked the Lord, don't ever let me go anywhere where you're not first. Sixteen trips later, people's lives saved every single time that we have gone. I'm reminded that my effectiveness And whatever is accomplished is all done in obedience to his command. I'm going to tell you how humbled I was on that first trip. We gathered a bunch of pastors together, and I brought three suits. Three suits, the finest clothes you can buy. I had ties that cost more than their suits with me. And so I put my first suit on and walked out. You know, I thought, man, I I look good. Now I looked at them, and I could hear the Lord saying, you fool. You think what you have on displays who you are. It is your heart they see. So you better be wise. The next day I came out with a different suit. Fools don't learn quickly, by the way. Came out with a different suit, and they all had the same clothes on. Same suit, same time. So I was sitting next to this pastor, and I said, Sir, I ask you a question. Why has everybody got the same suit on? 
I mean, you realize now, I realize how ignorant that question sounds. At the time, it was, it was very simple, pure question. He looked at me, and he, and he had the greatest response. Why do you need two suits if one works well? <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you, man. I had a closet full of clothes. In fact, I've told this story before, but I have a pair of shoes I can barely wear. I have a pair of shoes I bought while on a mission trip. After the trip, I walked into a, to an outlet store, and I bought a pair of shoes, and they cost more than, than it cost to let a kid go to school for two months in the uh, school there. So whenever I look, every, every Saturday night when I get my clothes out, I look at those shoes and I'll say, no, no, no. Even though, even though the person who bribed me to buy them in the first place, tell me how good they look, has even personally paid for those shoes by donating to the mission fund to cover the fund. But the truth, and by the way, I bought the shoes personally. Don't, don't, let me clarify that, okay? This church's not buying me clothes or shoes or anything else. But here's what I wanted to illustrate. When I walked out that second day with that different suit on, it's like the Lord said, you don't ever, you don't ever need to worry. I catch you looking at a tie that costs more than it costs for a kid to go to school, I'll choke you in that tie. <laughs> and I haven't been in expensive ties in a long time. But here's what I want you to say. God wants us to be effective. So how do we become effective? Let's look at what happens here. And, I, and what I want you to see today is this. Which, by the way, I hope you don't mind me sharing personal stories because let me tell you, sometimes I recognize that you may be sitting there saying, you know what, he's telling a story there that, that, that really identifies who he is. And I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm a guy who spent his life trying to figure out how to live it the best way I can, and I miss it lots of times. I have not been perfect, and I've missed many opportunities, and yet at the same time, I keep saying, Lord, say something in my heart that will help me be better, help me be able to understand what you're saying. And I'm going to tell you what, I, I, grew up, I grew up in an environment where the pastor had to be perfect, and I discovered very quickly within about the first day or second day of being one, I never could be. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are not called to be perfect. We are called to be humble. We are called to be servants. We are called to share the faith. Amen? And I can tell you right now, if I can put a set of clothes on, but my heart's not right, it doesn't matter what suit I wear or what shoes I put on. But if my heart's right, it then I can put on whatever I want and be blessed by it and thankful. And that's why I come to this house today thinking, you know what, this could be a great day for us. Because here's what I want to say to you. This summarizes what we're going to look at in this text. I want to say to you, it is time for us to elevate our expectations. It is time for us to elevate our effectiveness. Because I'm going to tell you what Jesus makes clear. Don't you dare live your life and miss me. What he says is, don't you dare miss it. I want you to go into the world. I want you to follow my command. And how does he do it? He does it in two distinctive ways. Which, by the way, it's interesting. The Bible says that when he told the ladies to go tell them where to go, they didn't sit there going, hey, what highway did we get on? They knew exactly where to go. And I want you to understand this. God speaks with clarity to those who are willing to humble themselves before him. He tells them where they should go, what they should do, how they should move. It's the very reason that I have a passion for what it is that God's called me to do. I hear him speaking to my heart. I hear the words from people here and there who are experiencing what God intends. I listened to one of our sweet members who called me on the phone just a couple days ago and said, please pray for my brother-in-law. He's had an aneurysm and he's in the hospital. And I said to her, you know I will pray for him. Last night, I read over 100 prayer cards turned in by you. And every one of them, I said, Lord, I want to make sure that my heart is to supplicate for these needs. For people who write on there, I need a job. I ask the Lord to give them a job. For those who are struggling with physical issues, I ask the Lord to bless them. And what I want you to see today is this. 
You don't want to coast through life. You want your life in high gear. You want to experience what God intends. And that's why Jesus brings it down to such very distinctive word. And he, and he brings it down really to an operational aspect and a yielded aspect. So let's look at this and break this passage down. Let's see if we can understand what it is that God's saying to it. First of all, he wants us in verse 16 and through 18, he wants us to come to the place where we understand how to operate, where we begin operating with a God-honoring perspective. For example, let me give you a classic understanding of what Jesus does here. He recognizes that when this particular command would be read by people through all the ages, some would read it and say, that's somebody else's deal. Some would read it and not understand the power connected to it. Some would say, you know what, I just have a personality that, that really is not able, I'm not able to tell anybody like that because they might reject me. You've already been rejected. Why waste your time missing the opportunity? Go for it. Let them know God cares about them. I'll tell you what you do. You learn how to use the right vocabulary, you'll change somebody's life. You ask them, can I pray for you? You'll turn their world 180. And what happens here is Jesus makes it clear. Let's look at it and understand. Look at verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded, proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. What did they do first of all? They took up the right position. They took up the right position, and that position was that they followed his instructions without hesitation. And today I want to encourage you to realize we don't need to hesitate when it comes to instruction. We need to follow them. We need to yield ourselves to them and say, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to follow that command. So they got in the right position. They went to where Jesus told them to go. And listen carefully. If Jesus tells you to go to Tanzania or Argentina, if Jesus tells you to go to Romania or Ukraine, or Jesus tells you to go to Mitchell Road and minister, over to La Vista Road and minister, if Jesus speaks to you, do not ignore his command. Position yourself to experience what he intends. You won't go there by accident. You'll go there by divine direction. What would happen if a young lady walks into the Atlanta Crisis Pregnancy Center and you're there because you're on assignment, and nobody knows your story but you. And all of a sudden, as they begin to share, you realize this is your moment. This is your hour. You see what happens is God gives us the opportunity to be in the right position. We just have to be willing to say, Lord, I'll go where you tell me to go. Which, by the way, you're going to discover something. He says go, he says teach, he says baptize. None of them are option points. None of them. And so he says, first of all, get in the right position. Then I want you to notice you, you can't miss this. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And what you discover is not you just get in a position, but you learn how to praise him. That's why we sing all kinds of different songs at one heart. All of them are centered in one focus. For example, the young, beautiful lady who led worship while Chester is ministering in Tanzania the first song she sang, you know why it had power to me? It had power to me because her daddy went to heaven this year. And you can sing alive a whole lot different when you are praising him for what only God can do. And what you and I need to realize, heaven is real. Heaven is a place where someone leaves us and goes to wait on us. It is not an imaginary place. So as I was listening, as she sang... Their, the power of the words distinctively rang in my heart because it said something about where she was. She was praising God, even in the midst of loss. Not only did he find himself in the right position and, and were committed to praise the Lord, but I want you to notice what Jesus does in verse 18, which, by the way, I could spend some time talking about those who are doubtful, but I'm negating that portion because here's what I'm going to believe. 
I'm going to believe there's not a person in this room who doubts that God can use them. Now, is that a great statement of faith or what? Because some of you are probably sitting there thinking, oh, no, no, doubt me. I promise you bank on my doubt. Don't worry, I won't do anything you've said. No, 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 I'm banking on everyone. Let me tell you what I, what I prayed this morning before I came to the church. I said there are going to be people there listening, even those who are visiting, who, who may have doubted their very purpose in life. And they're going to come to church today. And they're going to discover something. And God has purpose for them. He wants us to praise him. He wants us to go to where he wants us to be. But he also does one thing. He gives us power. Look if you would. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You realize the power we operate with is not our own power? You ever try to do something with your own strength? We've got two examples in this room of men I tried to baptize in my own strength. <laughs> and if you were here that first Sunday, every time I hugged those guys, I touched their heads. I realized I banged their heads and several other things on that particular experience. Thank God we didn't have insurance at that point, so they couldn't sue us. But the reality is, the reality is, when I hug them, I realize that my power is limited. I got tickled. One of my sweet pastor friends here, Dr. Bailey Smith, who's going to preach for us coming up the first part of next year. He didn't know that yet, but he does. He will. And he, uh, he, I got tickled. He came by the next day at church. I mean, he came by the office. And, and you know, it's, it's, I have known him my whole, my whole journey from 19 to now, okay? And he goes by now. Now, son, I want to just give you a few words of instruction. And, you know, whenever he speaks, I listen because I've known him a long time. And, man, he, he told me a couple things, shared me a couple things, and I thought, I'm putting him in there next time. I'm going to let him try to baptize my buddy. Now, the truth is, you know what? His instructions were so clear because he told me about positioning and how, how you stand and what you do and where, where your body is. Because the truth is, if I put somebody in the wrong place, then I don't have any strength to pick them up. But if I put them in the right place, I have the power to be able to bring them forward. And what I want you to understand about what Jesus does here, he says, all authority. You know what we do in our country? We, we hate authority. We rebel against it. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you drive down the interstate and you're zipping along and all of a sudden you see a car that has the decorative lights on it. You know, the Christmas lights that are blue. And what do you do? What is your distinctive reaction? You immediately become a law-abiding citizen. You pull your foot off that accelerator. And years ago when I was driving with Cindy, she'd always tell me, you're guilty as can be because you go from 80 to 40 in three minutes, I mean three seconds. I said, but I feel better about myself because <laughs> while I pass him by, I'm waving at him and say, Lord bless you, get somebody else. Remember, I'm a pastor, help me. You know, the truth is, the truth is that you and I need to be under authority because watch this, only under authority do we discover opportunity. In other words, if we don't yield to the authority of who it is that God has placed in our lives, that Jesus put there for a purpose, then what happens? We operate on our own terms. And so here's what I want to tell you. As an under-shepherd of this church, as somebody who's committed to helping people live effectively, I want to say to you, let's get serious about the people in your life. If you've got a relative that's outside of Jesus, tell them about him. Don't go to their deathbed saying, you know, hey, you can't hear me, you can't see me, but let me tell you what, it's really important to me. Sometimes I get called to those situations. And it's so sad because the person has already lost their capacity to be able to respond. And here's what I want you to see. If God puts your cousin in your life, 
He didn't put your cousin in your life so you could find Pastor Gerald and say, hey, come see him. He's really having trouble. He put your cousin in your life because he wanted you to be a light. And so listen carefully. Don't think you're going to punt all your pain to me. I'm not even going to catch the ball. Because here's what I want you to see. If you go in and see a relative you've known for 30 years, they're going to listen to you a whole lot better than they are me. How do I know that? Because I watch preachers visit my house who didn't know my dad. And if my dad busted hell wide open, it will be because people came in there who did not know him, did not understand what made him tick. They didn't let him tell his story. They didn't let him say to them that when he was a teenager at the most critical juncture of his life, in that teenage year, when somebody offered him alcohol, it was not, it was not the pagan at the bar. It was the choir member at the church. It shattered his perspective. He never donned the door. He would drop his children at the curb because he could not, listen, he could not reconcile. How can somebody sing about Jesus on Sunday and sit in the back of a pickup truck with a Pabst Blue Ribbon beer and live the same life? And what he said was, there's nobody's real. And my dad lived an angry life. He died without me knowing him because he never wanted anybody in again. He died with the only smiles he ever had across his face were when he was so drunk that he couldn't remember the smile when he woke up. And what I want you to see, why is this serious to me? Because I'm not going to somebody's house and say something to them that they turn out like my dad. But I will go to their house and share with them the good news of the gospel. Because Jesus does save. And Jesus does change. He changes every life. And what I want you to see today is this. Everybody in your life is there by divine design. Let's do something about it. But then he goes on. And I want to show you just as we finalize this to put it all together. If I'm operating, if I'm operating with a God-honoring perspective, in other words, how I see life, then simply all I have to do is yield. And when you start yielding to a faithful life, God begins to work. Let's look at this very quickly, what he does. First of all, he says, go, verse 19, go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. What's he saying here? Start out with obedience. Go, go. Which, by the way, for most of us, we only have to go across the street to be obedient. You may be sitting there saying, you know what? I don't know anybody lost. Look around your neighborhood. Look around. There are people everywhere. And some of you are seasoned. You've lived a long time. You know what it would mean to a young adult for you to walk up to him and say, you know what, I've lived a long time. and tell you what I tell you is real. Jesus is real. He's guided me for 70 years, 80 years. You may think they may shun you. The reality is they'll be blessed by you. They'll be blessed by you. So first of all, in obedience, go, he said. And then, watch what he says here. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is our connection? How do we bring someone to an awareness? that we are letting them experience what the Trinity is all about, which is very intriguing, by the way. Do you realize across the world in mission points, do you know what people want to know more about than anything? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In countries that I will not name because it might risk those who are doing this, they go baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'm telling you, they risk their lives every single moment. But there's power in that connection. 
Not only is there a connection, but you'll also see, he makes this statement, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What is he saying here? He's saying you've got to make a commitment to teach everyone, teaching them. For example, today, it's been my heart's desire to teach you, to teach you that we need to make sure we don't miss our opportunity to share what Jesus can do in anyone's life. And then he gives what is the greatest word of assurance we could ever have in our life. Lo, I am with you always. Don't you love that part of this, the great command? I'm with you. If you go somewhere else, no matter where you're going, I'm with you. Several years ago, several years ago, we were flying on a mission trip, share the good news, and our plane was hit by lightning. There are four of us together. And the other three claimed to have no fear. Didn't even bother them. Well, you know, my first thought was, it's the end of the story. This plane's been hit by a terrorist bomb. We're done. I don't even think they quit drinking their, their Diet Coke. But for me, I thought, wow. And then it began to dawn on me. Lo, I am with you always. Don't you love that promise? See, today you think about your own life. You have to ask yourself, this command, it comes back to whether you'll obey or disobey. My daughter and son-in-law, they're teaching our little two-year-old that partial obedience is disobedience. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, she's two. You know what? She gets it. She gets everything. In fact, her little daddy shamefully whispered in her ear just a couple weeks ago that Gramps will take you to see Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Now when I hold that blessed, beautiful little two-year-old, you know the first thing she says to me? God, God, take me to see Mickey Mouse. My son-in-law will pay for that. (laughs) And then I will pay for it. Because when that second grandchild gets here, Nora and I are not going to be around watching the travail. We're going to be watching Mickey slide down the slide together with us. You see, I'd do anything to bless her because she's a treasure given to me. And what I want you to see is you are treasure given to God, given by God to accomplish his purpose. And my question to you today is this. Maybe you're here and you realize, I don't even know how to be effective. Maybe you should, maybe you should start by committing your heart to becoming a part of who we are. I want to invite you, if you are here and you realize God's speaking in your heart about knowing him and following him, maybe you're here and you realize you need Jesus in your heart. You say, how do I, how do I find it? We have people who want to explain it clearly to you. But I can tell you this, you lay him in your heart to change your life forever. You may be that you're here and you also realize this is a place for you to call home. I want to invite you to come home. I hugged one of our new members uh, during the welcome time. And it was so interesting because I was thinking about him last night and I hugged him. I'm so grateful that God brings people into our lives that change our lives and speak to our hearts. So today, as we come as invitation time, I want you to think about, will you obey the command? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Speaks to who we are. Energize these moments we're about to enter into. May people follow your command. May they they yield to what it is you say to them. Lord, I ask you to move in this hour. Speak to people's lives. Let them realize this is the best day to say yes to you. And Lord, in this hour, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.